0: All right, and we're going to read uh, out of John chapter 1, starting in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness, um, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you Michael, good morning And as has been said, Merry Christmas Eve Um, It is a delight to be with you all this morning Um, It was actually, we were talking about this morning About uh, last year we had Christmas on Sunday And um, the question of like Is it harder to come to church on Christmas or Christmas Eve And I don't know what it's like for you guys But uh, for me this this is a delight because We only get so many times, we only get a handful of times, comparatively speaking, to celebrate Jesus' birth um, in a church service, like in our normal course of worship, right at the time when we celebrate his birth on the calendar as well. Um, So it's special to me and I hope it will be for you as well. Uh, So for that reason, this morning, we are deviating slightly from what we have been doing. We have been in the book of John um, and we are currently in the section, the book of John, where we are in the book of glory, the latter portion of the book of John, where we are working through the arrest, um, arrest, conviction, crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins, where His glory, His grand purpose is revealed. Uh, But for the purposes of Christmas this morning, we're going to step back. We're not going to leave the book of John. Instead, we're just staying in John chapter 1, um, where it talks about this glory initially so that we can... Remember and hopefully be because this is a special morning for us, and all the kids are, are here in the service. I want you to understand that because we are specifically focusing on the incarnation and the the mystery and the meaning of an incarnate of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, and that is I mean, that is the most fundamental aspect of our faith. Um and With that, it's also one of the most challenging that God, that Jesus is both God and man. So this morning, I'm going to spend a lot of time trying to talk directly to the kids. So I'm going to spend a lot of time hopefully using word images that are intentionally for them and working my way up to you. So don't be surprised at that. Um, So this morning, um, we dive into this text we want to look at two things again: the the mystery of Jesus's birth, what what this mystery is, and then the meaning behind his birth. As has been said, as we read that uh, that G- John says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. John said that God became a person and dwelt among us. So. As we see, this is a grand mystery. This doesn't fit into our heads naturally that God can be man at the same time. And quite frankly, it's unique even among other religions. Kids, did you know that no other religion in the world has this story in the same same way? In no other religion in the world does God God exist as both God and man at the same time in this way. So for instance, the Jewish religion that Christianity came out of from the Old Testament, we know that it was foretelling the coming of Christ. But the Jews believe that Jesus is not the Messiah. The Jews believe that in fact Jesus could not be the Messiah because he claimed to be God. And according to them, that violates Deuteronomy six, what we call the Shema, where it says, "Hear, O Lord, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one." So, because of that, they believed that that Jesus could not be God. There were there were versions of this where Jesus would appear, and we've seen that throughout the course of the Old Testament. For instance, the story of Moses. Where did God, how did God appear to Moses? Does anybody remember what? in a burning bush, you're right. There's another point in time where, where God appears to a man named Jacob, Abraham's, uh, Abraham's grandson, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. When Jacob is traveling, God appears to him as a person. And, and he actually has some, he actually has physical form because Jacob is able to, to wrestle him. But he's still, he just shows up out of nowhere. He's not born, he just shows up out of nowhere. And also, there's another story that you probably know, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Now, when they get thrown into the fiery furnace, it they are not burned up. Instead, they're seen walking around in the fiery furnace, and with them is another person, which one of the guards says is like to the Son of the God. So we, we recognize that God appeared there in the furnace with them to protect them. But again... God is not born in this situation, so that's that's Judaism. There's another another famous and very popular religion out there called Islam. Islam specific verses that says He is not a father, He is not a son. It is wrong to think of Him that way. Um, one one famous one that they talk about is from Surah one twelve. Or that's kind of in nature, unique in His essence. Um, where it talks about that. He is indivisible in nature, unique in his essence, attributes, names, and acts. The one who has no second, no associate, no parents, no offspring, no peers, free from the concept of multiplicity and far from conceptualization or limitation. There is no one like him. They say there is no way that he could be anything like a human. In fact, they believe that it is evil to call Jesus God because that that fundamentally demeans god it makes him less than he can possibly be the the popular culture of the time the greeks and romans they had gods of their own they had lots of gods and their gods would visit the earth they would visit the earth regularly but they never did more than appear as human in fact they didn't they didn't want to take on humanity if If they interacted with humans, they always expected to be treated as well more than any mortal, than any mere mortal, and to do so, to do less than that, to treat them as anything more, excuse me, anything close to being like a regular human, brought wrath upon people. We get some very famous stories like the Odyssey from that. Um, Maybe the closest that we have is a religion called Hinduism. And they have, these, they have this thing called avatars where people could, a person could embody a deity. but And that's the closest that we have in any other religion. But it's still different. And the reason why is, is twofold. One, because their they, their version of this where a human becomes a deity, he's a lesser deity. He is something less than the fullness of God. That is different than what the Bible says Jesus is, kids that he was fully God and fully man. The other thing that I find very interesting is that the first times in the Hindu writings that these avatars are specifically referenced is about 600 AD, um, or in the sixth, within the sixth century. So 600 years after Jesus was born. I and mean, even more importantly than that, a few hundred years after, as far as we know, Missionaries carrying the gospel showed up in India and preached it. So they heard stories of Jesus, and I believe they incorporated it into their own religious writings about their people. They copied because they thought it sounded like a cool idea, which it is. Um, so this is this is the uniqueness of Jesus becoming a man, that the word became flesh and lived among us. But not only is it unique, it is, as I said, it's amazing, it's beautiful think about it. Think about the ability, the way it shows God's power, for instance. It shows God's attributes that he can do this. It shows his power because Jesus could, could be God and become a man, could take on a human form without any problem. He can do it anytime he wanted, and he chose to do it at this point in time, at this point in history. Now, how many of you would like to be a professional athlete? Anybody? Anybody want to be a professional athlete? That would be cool. All right. So if that's not your thing, pick something else. Think of anything you want to be. In my case, it might be I want to be taller. Um, Now, think about it really hard, really want it, and make it happen. It doesn't work. At best, even if you wanted something like to be president or to be a professional athlete, you're going to have to work really hard. It's going to take a whole lot of time, and you hope that you get there. You might get there. You might not. But in the case of Jesus, in the case of God, the decision to become a human being, to come into our world as a full human being, was done with simply a thought and then an expression of his power. There was no challenge to it. Not only that, you want to talk about the power of God that it shows is the fact that God could choose to do this, and yet he had, he could stop at any time. He could reveal his. He could reveal his deity anytime he desired. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. If you were here in the service, we talked about that when, um, when Pastor Chris was talking about how the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the garden. And we got just the barest, tiniest little taste of it when they ask, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he says, I am. And we know that we're into that statement That declaration that mirrors God saying, I am that I am, Yahweh, the name that I am, the the power to reveal his authority, to reveal his glory, to reveal his deity anytime he wanted. Now, sometimes we, we might do the same kind of thing. We might have experiences. There are experiences out there where you might go to what they call a living history site where they, for instance, they they show you what it was like to live in Plymouth Plantation. Or near us, we have Brattonsville, where they show you what it was like to live in historic Brattonsville. You can go there, and you can even take part. You can have activities. You can see what life was like there. Sometimes you can even have special events where they'll let you stay over a weekend or something like that, or over a course of a couple of days, and you you can live there for a couple of days and see what it would be to live in colonial times or something like that. There are other circumstances where, for instance, to try and gain empathy, you can have experiences where you live like a homeless person for a couple of days. So you see what life is like for them. And you know what the difference is between you and and actually, between you pretending that and actually being homeless, or you pretending that and actually living in colonial times, is you have the power, you have the ability to leave it whenever you want. It ends whenever you decide to do that. And that is the amazing power displayed in the incarnation, that God can reveal his full deity anytime he wants. He's, he is, yes, limiting himself in his, in his humanity, but he doesn't have to. That's a choice. And because of that, we see that not only it reveals not only God's power, but also his love and his humility because he limited himself intentionally he took on human form with everything that entails kids do you ever feel tired when you're asked to do your chores do you find it hard do you find it hard to focus because there's other things that you want to do yes do you find it hard to relate to other people. Somebody says a mean thing to you and you know you're not supposed to say a mean thing, but do you want to? Yes. Jesus experienced all of those because he was fully human. His humility in bringing all those limitations and temptations to him are amazing. Can you imagine what it would be like if... Let's say, okay, let, let's say you are in school. Sometimes you have challenges at school. Maybe school is easy for you. Maybe it's, it's hard for you, but you're going to have some difficult experiences at some point in your school life. What would it say to you if your parents said, I want to understand and I want to help you, and so I'm going to become a student. I'm going to be a student just like you in your grade level, in your class, and I'm going to do it for a week. What would it be like if they said, I'm going to do it for the entire year? What would it be like if they said, I'm going to be a student like you from the time you are in kindergarten until the time you graduate college? I'm going to go through this. And then let's even take that a step further. What would it be like if, say, for instance, the president of the United States, said, I want to understand what students go through right now in our educational system, so I'm going to become a student in your class. Um, It says how much they care about you. It says how much they want to serve you and care for you. That's the beauty, that's the wonder of Jesus becoming a man for us. That God came as a man, he, he... became flesh, it says, and dwelt among us. But not only that, from 16 to 18, we talk about the meaning behind it. It wasn't just that he came as a man, but there was a specific purpose to it. He said, all right then. Uh, And it says, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the father's side he has made him known so first we see in verse 18 the end of that that one of the things that that is the meaning behind the birth of Christ is so that God in his incarnation in his humanity would reveal his person he shows us what he's like. We already talked about the fact that it shows his power. It also shows his love and his humility. It, it shows us so much about his character that Jesus came and lived among people as a person and they got to see what it was like. They got to see, for instance, how he would be tired and still do his chores without complaining. They got to see how he would be mistreated by others, how, how somebody could say mean things to him and he wouldn't respond back. In fact, we're, gonna, we're talking about that right now as we talk about his, his crucifixion trial, that all the accusations that are made against him, he, st- he still treats people kindly. In a little while, we're going to talk about the fact that on the cross, he is still kind while he's dying, suffering. He is still loving people and saying, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. But it shows us what he is like, that God would do this for us. It also shows us what he wants. We know God has given lots of instructions in the Bible, right? He's given us plenty of commands, things that we're supposed to do. But how how useful is it, how helpful is it to you when your parents come alongside you or another adult comes alongside you to show you how to do something? Not just tell you how to do something. And my kids can tell you guys, you don't have to, um, but my kids could tell you guys that there are times when I give them instructions and I will tell them, I want you to do this. And then later on, when it hasn't gotten done and we start talking in more, de- in more depth about it, sometimes I realize that's because I didn't explain it well. Well, God explains things very well, but to keep to make sure that nobody ever has an excuse where they say, Well, I didn't understand it well enough. Jesus shows up as the perfect example, he lives it out so that they don't just hear instructions but they see it played out in real life. The people who walked around with him got to see it and understand it. We get to get to, in a sense, in our mind's eye, get to see it and understand it because of the testimony of those who walked with him. So a little bit, uh, just in fact, yesterday, one good example of this was where you mix cinnamon and applesauce together. Um, It's gross, but once you make the ornament, you cut it out and you bake it, then they harden up and they smell incredible. Um, So we were making those to go with some goodie bags that, that we had, and after you bake it, we got to tie the strings on them. Now, the string, putting putting that string through a somewhat ragged hole, can be challenging for little fingers. Um, so, telling them, "Here's the string, thread it through, tie the knot," you know, do it, uh, was not highly successful at our house. Um, but we got through it eventually because I sat down, explained, you know, if you need to, you wet one end of the string so that you you take some of the threads off so that it fits through, so that it doesn't catch on things. And once we got through that, then suddenly we were in business and it didn't take too long for us to do that. So it gives, so Jesus gives hands-on training as well as hands-on illustration of what it is that God wants. What are his commands and how does it look like to live them out in real time? With that, it also shows us the, the difference between him and us because he lives them out perfectly. and you, I mean, we see over and over again in Scripture that he lives them out perfectly, His disciples don't. Um, we're again, we're talking about that right now. We just had the discussion of of Peter's denial, where, God said, you are all going to fall away. Jesus tells the the disciples, you're all going to fall away. And Peter goes, no, I'm going to follow you to the death. And then just a few short hours later, he's asked three times if he knows Jesus. Nope, don't know him. I don't know him. And in in one passage, we're even told he curses. He swears, no, I do not know him. And then the cock crows. And then the rooster crows. So through that we see that he reveals our weakness, our sin, and he shows that he understands, yet as Hebrews 4 tells us, Hebrews 4.15 says, he understands our weakness. He is a perfect high priest because he understands our weakness and he understands our temptation to sin, but he was without sin. So he is the one who earns righteousness who shows his righteousness. And then because of that, because he shows who he is, because he lives the perfect human life, then the incarnation as we see in 16 and 17 reveals our salvation. It is the ground of our salvation. It says that the law came from Moses, but it is from Christ that we have received Grace. The, the instructions from God on how we are to live before Him come from Moses. So that is, this is what it means to follow God, that the law tells us. Then it tells us, so that's what it means to follow God. You fall short, there are consequences for sin. That means that in the in the Old Testament law, that then you offer sacrifices in faith to receive temporary forgiveness for that. Um so that you don't have to pay the consequences for sin. There has to be a sacrifice. The law came through Moses. But Jesus, through the incarnation, brings grace. And grace, as we've talked about before, grace means you get what you don't deserve. Mercy means you don't get everything you deserve. So mercy is you deserve this many bad things. We're going to take away some or all of them, and that's mercy. Grace is you deserve bad things, punishment. You deserve justice for your sin. Instead, the justice is going to be dealt with, and you're going to be given only the good stuff. That's grace. Now, for those of you, for those of you who um, who have been through Treasure Seekers class. This is where I want you to to speak up. I know you guys have been going through the catechism. And just as a quick plug, New City Catechism is what what we use. There is an app you can get on your phone, New City Catechism, that takes takes them through this. Um, And for those of you who are parents, if you use New City Catechism, there's a little handy button on the right-hand side where you can switch between the full adult mode that has the longer questions and answers and the children's mode that has the shorter ones that make it easier for them to learn. So, we've been going through New City Catechism. So, you guys remember? Yes, one who is truly human and also truly God. All right. So, then 22 asks the next step Why must the Redeemer be truly human? that in human nature he might, on our behalf, perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for human sin. So, as it says, Jesus had to be human so that he could achieve human righteousness and perfectly obey the law so that when he died, he wasn't dying for his own sin, he was dying for somebody else's. He was dying for human sin which he had not committed 23 then says why must the redeemer be truly god that because of his divine nature his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective that's right That because of his divine nature, his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective. So that when Jesus died and he died for human sin, then he didn't, he had to be divine so that he wouldn't just be paying for Pastor Scott's sin. Because if he's human, even if he's perfect, he only, it's life for life, right? He only gets to pay for one. So he gets to pay for one person and he has to select that one person out of everyone who ever lived. But if he is divine, if he is infinite, then his perfection being, being also infinite, his life being of infinite value, he, he ransoms, he pays the penalty for everyone who would believe. Everyone who would believe. And that's the reason why this incarnation is so important. The final thing that it reveals is also it reveals the second coming, right? We've had the first coming. This is is the first coming that we celebrate now. But there's always a window to the future, that there is more to come. There's a future installment to happen because the ultimate plan is to reconcile everything the way it was. In Genesis 1, God creates a perfect world. And within that world, he creates man in his own image. And we humanity, I mean. Mankind walks with God in the garden. They live with him. They live with him in a sense like a family. They live with him in intimacy and closeness and friendship and love. They interact with him on a regular basis. But then when sin comes along, it's broken. When Jesus comes, the incarnation, the the first coming of Jesus then brings us where we can be made part of God's family by trusting in his death and resurrection on our behalf, trusting Jesus' death to pay for our sins and his life to restore us and and bring us adoption into his family. If we believe, we become part of God's family. And the second coming then that's foretold is gonna be when everything gets put right, when Jesus finally puts an end to sin and death. And once again, we live with God as a family. We regularly interact with him. We live and love together. That's the final thing that it reminds us of. So this morning, as we leave this place, we're going to go take part in some normal, spend some time around the tree. Maybe you're going to spend time with family. Maybe you're going to spend time opening presents. There's a lot of different things that you're going to have going on. But I want you to remember that the traditions that you're that you're using in your family over this Christmas season. They're intended to point you to a much more important thing of Jesus' birth. They're they're meant all to be reminders. In fact, we use Christmas trees, right? We use Christmas trees and garlands and wreaths, this greenery. The evergreen stuff was was partly to signify eternal life and new life that comes. So people would. Bring them into their house. But now we recognize that that's still just just kind of a reflection and kind of not that great a reflection. Because if you cut down a tree and you bring it into your house or if you cut down and make a garland and you bring it into your house, what happens within a couple of weeks? It dies. It's not actually eternal life. The reflections are nice as a reminder, but they point out the need. We needed something better. We need to. And I hope that you will not just remember, but that you will come to know Him, that you will put your faith in Him, and that you will enjoy Him eternally. Let's pray. Father, um, this is a this is a great this is a great truth, and it is. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around, and even for those of us who believe it, who believe it deeply it's something that we continue to have to remind ourselves and and reflect on and and i hope revel in that we enjoy the gift that you have given in jesus christ help us lord to see its beauty its wonder its importance to us so that we don't get don't get trapped in missing out on The real joy of the Christmas season, so that we're not captivated by shiny things that have no lasting value. Um, Lord, help us. And Lord, I I just want to specifically pray for those children who are here this morning. Um, Some have already put their trust in you. We pray that they will continue to grow in you, Lord. Some are still learning and we ask that your spirit would work in their hearts so that it's not just head knowledge, but that they truly come to trust Jesus as their leader and forgiver throughout all their life. Uh, We ask these things that his name would be made great in their lives and through all those that they touch. We ask this, amen. At this time, I invite the band to come up. Uh, One of the cool things that we get to do at this point is... Uh, to experience the wonder of communion. And we get to practice an expression of the, the same meaning that we just talked about in the incarnation. So I want to remind you that um, that we have, we have this pattern that we use. We have um, trays that are gonna have both bread and either wine or juice, depending on which one you want, uh, as the, as the uh, worship team plays for us. You can sing along as you want. You can reflect on what Christ has done for you. And then when the time comes, come up and get the elements. If you're a baptized believer in, G- in Jesus, then this is for you. We do this in remembrance of his sacrifice. Listen, uh, please, later on, ask us questions. Uh, this is also a good time to, to give an ex- as an expression of joy and love for what Christ has done for you. Uh, you can do that either online or there's a box in the back if you want to do that you.